Okay, so good morning. Still with me? Good. Fantastic. So as Tim said, we are continuing our series looking at this book by Adam Hamilton called Half Truths. And yes, it started as a sermon series in his church in the States. Uh, his church of about 22,000 where Adam is the pastor. We've actually used some of his material before. Um, he, was author, he wrote a book called 24 Hours That Changed the World that we used as a basis for one of our Good Friday services a little while ago. And two weeks ago, Andy started off with God Helps Those Who Helps Themselves, beginning to look at that idea. And today, we are looking at God Won't Give You More Than You Can Handle. In the introduction to the book, um, Adam says this. Most of us as Christians have things we believe and tell others and even count on that we've not carefully examined. Some of the things we accept and repeat to others sound so true and we've believed them for so long that they have become what some call sacred cows, things above question or criticism. When these beliefs are questioned, we become defensive or irritated. It's not my aim to do that to you this morning. But it perhaps might get a little bit of grit under the skin. We may even worry that if these beliefs aren't true, that the rest of our faith may crumble. This is one of those sayings, God won't give you more than you can bear. A quick Google image search will throw up hundreds of images like this that you could have on your desktop or print up and put on your wall at home, or have as a fridge magnet. Beautiful images, God won't give you more than you can bear. But is that absolutely right? And where does it come from? Well, the Bible passage that it comes from is this one in the main, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. And it reads like this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the verse that gets, this gets, uh, gets hung on in the main. And it comes from this idea, because the word for temptation in Greek can also mean tested. It's perfectly legitimate to translate the Greek word either temptation or tested. So it could read, no testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful and he will not give you, let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will provide you a way out so that you can endure it. But the question before us today is, which is the better translation? Which one should we take to our hearts? And as you'll have heard me say before, it is all about context. When you come to understanding the Bible and looking at a Bible passage, it's all about the context that it's written in. As Tim alluded to earlier, it's very easy to find a Bible verse to back up almost any idea. The Bible's a big, broad book, and you can pick out single verses to back up almost anything. It's a technique called proof texting. You study it quite a lot in college. It's, and sometimes this verse has been taken, plucked out of its context and used to proof text the idea that God won't give you more than he can bear. So we're going to look at the context of this verse and explore it together. The other tool I would suggest you want to use is to look at the overarching story of scripture. 
from Genesis to Revelation, from what it reveals of God's character, what it says about how we understand God. And actually then ask yourself, how well does this square with the grand story of Scripture? Particularly, how does it square with the person of Jesus and what we know of God revealed in Jesus? And actually, if you find there's a bit of rub and a bit of conflict, and a bit, then there's time to do a bit more digging. That's all I'm saying. Just let it worry you a little bit and think, maybe we need to think a little bit more about this if it doesn't square with the person of Jesus or the big story of Scripture. So what is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Uh, Amal Hammond, oh, sorry, I'm going to come down here to read it because my eyesight's not good enough to read that screen. Some point out that the Greek word Paul uses for tempted in this passage, perisimus, can be mean tested. They suggest that tested is what Paul might have in mind, so that this passage might in fact be saying he won't give you more than you can handle. But a look at the context of Paul's words shows that he was talking about temptation, including sexual immorality and idolatry, but not about trials and hardships. Corinth was a town known for its drunken orgies. There was a phrase at the time to live like a Corinthian, which meant to be able to drink yourself under the table, along with the nearby Roman garrison, and go out and have a thoroughly riotous Friday night. The temple of Aphrodite, pictured here, uh, was in Corinth. As part of your worship at the temple of Aphrodite, the, fertility, the god of, goddess of fertility, you would go and you would have sex with the temple prostitutes. That was considered an act of worship. This was the culture and the context that Paul is writing to new Christians in Corinth. And he is saying to them, you're not to live that way anymore. You're to refrain from idolatry, going to the temple. You're refrain from immorality, sexual immorality. Don't go and sleep with the temple prostitutes like you used to. You're a new creation. You're more than that. And if you are tempted to go back to your old way of life, don't worry because God will provide you with a way out. I think it's pretty clear from this passage and when you read it in its wider context that it is about resisting temptation that was in Corinth at the time and around sexual immorality and drinking rather than being tested. This is Alfie Dog and this is a bowl of cat food. Alfie Dog lives downstairs. Sandy Puscat lives upstairs. And there is a stair gate to separate them. But Alfie knows where Sandy's cat food is. It is in the bathroom. And you need only leave the stair gate open for a few seconds and turn a blind eye and you can be up the stairs, demolish the cat food and back down before you've noticed. He has killer instincts and he has no way to not give in to temptation. He's a dog. <laughs> you, my friends, are not dogs. It says in James chapter 1, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. I don't believe it's God who does the tempting, or the testing for that matter. 
we could flip, we're pretty good at that ourselves. Temptations come our way through life, through circumstances, through the world around us. But when they do, God provides an exit. Nobody jumps straight into an affair. It just doesn't happen. You don't go from seeing somebody for the first time and hopping into bed with them. It's always a process. You spot them across the office and you think, oh, they're quite nice. But I'm married. Then you see them go to the water cooler and you think, well, I'm going to go and get a cup of water at the same time. Then you find yourself arriving at the same cooler, water cooler at the same sort of time every day and having conversations that are lasting a bit longer. And then you, you, you brush arms as you're walking back from the water cooler and exchange a glance. And then there's the business trip later on that year and you're looking through the guest list and you find that they've been invited. And then you, you go a bit further and you dig and you find which hotel they're staying in. And then you're there and you're down in the evening and there's a few drinks because you've just arrived, got off the plane and it's, oh, oh, should we go out for a meal this evening? And so it goes on. And then, four years later, when you're sitting in a bed sit, only able to see your children at weekends, wondering how on earth did that happen? You look back and you see there were all these exits on the path that you could have taken. We're not dogs. We can resist temptation and God provides ways out. You could have not gone to the water cooler. You could have not checked the guest list. You could have declined the conference. You could have brought other people with you to have dinner rather than having dinner alone. Do you see what I mean? That is what this passage is talking about. So, Charlie, what about the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Surely that says that God leads us into temptation. I think it depends where you put the comma. God lead us, comma. Not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Perhaps we might understand it like this. Please, God, lead us. Not into temptation where we would lead ourselves, but onto the right path. Deliver us from the evil one. And I have a second problem with this. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that as well. (laughs) One of the primary images of God in Scripture is of a loving father, a loving parent, a loving mother. None of us intentionally put temptation in front of our children, do we? Why do we think God would do that in front of us? When Adam was preaching this sermon at his church in America, he had this letter from a lady in the congregation. In response to your question about God not giving us more than we can handle, if someone tells me this one more time, I may lose it. First of all, God didn't cause my husband to beat me. He didn't make my brother commit suicide. He didn't plant the IED that my nephew hit, which resulted in him losing his leg. And he didn't give my best friend cancer. I could go on, but you get the idea. It's this idea God won't give you. Is it God who gives us those things? If God won't give you more than you can handle, isn't the implication then that God will give you just so much? He'll push you right to the edge. 
give you so much that God will layer these troubles upon you, push you to the edge of the cliff, but don't worry, because he won't push you over. Do we think God loves us like that by giving us and testing us and testing us to breaking point? Does that square with the overarching picture of God we have in Scripture or not? I don't think it does. So I think a part of the problem with this phrase is that the idea that God gives us these things. I came across a story recently of the floods in Mozambique and a family, a, a dad, a mum and a young daughter who were caught up in the rising floodwaters. And as the helicopter came over, um, a rescue helicopter came over, it spotted them in rising floodwaters and it lowered a rope to pick them up because that's all it had. And the father grasped hold of the rope and wrapped his arm round it, grabbed hold of his wife who was holding their young daughter and began to lift them up out of the water. And it became apparent after a little while that there was no way he was going to be able to hold the weight of his wife and his daughter in their wet clothes. So his wife said, take our daughter, let go, you can't hold us both. And they exchanged a look and she passed his daughter into his father's arms and she let go and she dropped into the rising floodwaters and was swept away. When he got into the helicopter, in all the panic, he picked up his daughter and realised she was already dead. God won't give you more than you can handle. Does God give us those sorts of trials? Is it God who causes? I don't care how you sugarcoat that, how much theology you try to wrap around it. I don't believe in a God who does that, who tests us to that point. I don't believe God gives us these things in the first place. Certainly not to handle alone. Carry one another's burdens, it says in Galatians. If God, sometimes life throws up more than we can bear. That's why we need each other, church. That's why we need community. Because sometimes life does just turn out to be more than we can carry alone. And it's okay to admit that. Because that's what community is about. Bearing one another's burdens. Walking with each other and carrying one another. The promise of scripture is not that we won't go through hard times. It is not that we can handle by ourselves everything that life throws our way. What scripture does promise is that at all times, good or bad, God wants to be our help and our strength. And so, in the words of Peter, throw all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. Maybe a better promise then God won't give you more than you can handle. His God is with you and will handle, help you handle all that comes your way. God is with you and will help you to handle all that comes your way. My trust in God is not that he won't give me more than I can bear because I don't believe he's the one who would give us those things. It is not that God is testing me by bringing up bad things into my life. Instead, I trust that when bad things happen, during the course of life, God will sustain me, walk with me, hold me near, 
comfort and care for me, and then I can talk to God even if I can't see him. He's as close as the air I breathe, and though I might experience the pain of a traumatic event, I maintain faith that at some point, joy will overshadow the pain. The lady that wrote the letter continued, I absolutely reject the idea that all of those horrible things were God's will. What I do know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that he is helping me to cope. It is not easy, but I know that I am never alone, even if it feels that way sometimes. I know that I can turn to God and cry and kick and scream and he will comfort me. I can thank him for connecting me with the attorney who helped me out of an abusive marriage. I can thank him for the strength to talk about my brother's suicide in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone else. I can thank him for allowing my nephew to live instead of die. God is turning the challenges and using them for good. God doesn't give us more than we can bear? Or is it perhaps better to believe that God is with us and will give us the strength to cope with the things that life throws at us? This is Annie Johnson Flint. She was born in 1866. She was orphaned at a very young age, just one or two years old. Both of her parents were killed and she was fostered by another family, adopted by another family in the States. Then as a teenager, her foster adopted, her adopted parents were tragically killed as well. She lost two sets of parents during her lifetime. She longed to be a teacher and had a great gift with English. But unfortunately, in her early 20s, she was diagnosed with a, with a life-limiting condition that would shorten her life and see her live it out in a sanitarium at the time rather than be the teacher she always dreamed of being. But while she was in there, she began to write poetry. And she's got published several books of poetry and several hymns. And in the midst of all her struggle and strife, this is a poem by Annie Johnson. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, Joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Let's pray together. just pause for a moment and in the quiet reflect perhaps you're going through hardship in your life at the moment a trial and you've wanted to blame God for it it is not God who, tests, who is testing you who is testing us. It is God who is with us through those challenges. Maybe take a moment and lift that challenge before God and ask him to meet you in it and journey with you through it.
And perhaps you're sitting here like the lady who wrote that letter. Because somebody has said to you, oh, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can bear. And it feels like more than you can bear. And you know that person wanted the best for you and they were trying to comfort you. But it's made you angry. Pray this morning that you let go of that clenched fist and that anger. And that we as a community would be a community that bear one another's burdens. And when we find that life throws up for us things that we can't cope with alone, that we would be part of a family around us who would carry one another and be Christ's hands and feet as we journey through life together. And God, we thank you that you are always near and your desire is always our flourishing and your heart is always for good and that you can turn any situation and you can use it for your honour and glory. Lord, help us to trust you even in the dark times as well as the good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to talk or pray with somebody, because I realise there might be a few things that's thrown up that you want to pray about, the prayer team will be available at the front after the service. Do go and tap somebody you trust on the shoulder and ask them to pray with you and talk it through with them.